Chapter 1, Oprah and Carbohydrates. When I first started struggling with my weight, it was right around my early 30s. And previous to that, I would pretty much deal with any type of weight gain by just making minor changes. And pretty much like not eating M&Ms and drinking Cokes would work. But after I got to be over the age of 30, what ended up happening was that simplistic approach no longer worked. And right at that time, my wife, you know, Oprah Winfrey was a big figure in, you know, U.S. popular culture and, and probably worldwide popular culture. And she was working with a trainer by the name of Bob Green. And Bob Green's suggestion to Oprah was that she should not eat carbohydrates after six o'clock. And I remember specifically the term, not even a grape. And what's interesting about that recommendation is that it's not that it wasn't somewhat based in science. For the most part, when you have insulin working and you go to sleep, you're not necessarily going to have the repair hormones that um, allow you to get, you know, rest and recovery throughout the night. And so when insulin and those hormones kind of contradict each other, it would seem like that it would be best to kind of keep insulin outside of the outside of the picture and so having no carbohydrates you carbohydrates in in this instance would raise insulin you know even even protein also raises insulin but we can talk about that in future chapters but my point being is that it sort of missed the picture of how to read scientific data and I think that what's the most interesting part about this discussion is that scientific data is often pushed on all of us as the answer and so sometimes you'll hear you know no butter sometimes you're hearing all butter you know currently with Weight Watchers you know, Oprah has a bunch of ads related to bread. So her stance on carbohydrates have actually changed uh, 100, you know, 180 degrees, which is fine. But the science at that time, and actually the science of the particular study that a lot of that information was based off of, was interpreted very differently by different groups. And when you look at the deeper part of the study, yes, the people that didn't have carbohydrates often saw good weight loss, but they weren't seeing good fat loss. And one of the reasons why their fat loss wasn't showing the same signs as the weight loss is because their body wasn't recovering and so they weren't getting adequate sleep and things of this nature and i think it's important that we talk about you know sleep and recovery because it's not that it's not insignificant right we you know calorie balance always matters and the problem with taking an approach that is 
unenlightened is that it sort of misses the bigger context. When you're talking about metabolism, the easiest ways to increase your metabolism are to work towards building an adequate amount of muscle, keeping the amount of muscle that you have, and eating an adequate amount of food. And so in that way, dieting is actually the problem and not the solution. And it doesn't mean, as an example, and, and you know, I want this to be very clear, especially in the first chapter, is we're not against eating at a deficit on occasion, but it should not represent the majority of the way that you look at food because when you're talking about your mental relationship with food, things change very dramatically when you're trying to deny yourself something that your body needs. And so when you're going to do that, you're going to want to do that in very short time periods with very specific results. And you're going to want to be able to piece together what works. One of the things that sort of happened within, I'd say, probably the last 10 years <clears throat> with the emergence of something like the paleo diet is people are trying to take a diet of mostly whole foods and then point that you know, kind of like the the um, similar to the the lower carbohydrate discussion where you're taking a set of foods and you're saying okay this is the problem the issue with that is that it sort of misses the point, similar to the way that the, the Oprah discussion missed the point for, for a lot of people. A lot of people can use carbohydrates, especially people that uh, you know move and exercise. Carbohydrates can be fine for those people, and it can actually aid in the recovery process. One of the things that a lot of people don't know is you know, it's often brought up that you know if you're eating carbohydrates in an excessive amount, it could ultimately lead to something like type 2 diabetes. But, it, you know, insulin resistance, leptin resistance, these are all, you know, leptin's a hormone. Um, all of these things are affected dramatically about by the things that you put into your body. But the average person, you know, living in, you know, rural Mississippi, Hearing information without context, you know, and I'm using Mississippi as an example, but I'm just thinking in terms of the way that people are getting information is not necessarily going to be the best way to consume that information. And what's what happened for me was I was able to, you know, once the Internet sort of came along, I mean, people don't realize how influential the internet is and why something like you know weight watchers or the zone or something like that could thrive those were were technologies that were brought to market in the 1960s you know the zone in the 1970s meant to be a competitor to weight watchers these things aren't necessarily um when you look at the way that technology has come to bear and and things like my fitness pal and food loggers and stuff like that those are direct compare competitors 
to those types of technologies or those types of systems. And with that kind of information out there, it should allow all of us to, you know, research our health and, and, and try to find more um, understanding as it relates to our health. And what I think is, you know, from my perspective, when I started doing a lot of the research, you know, on, on PubMed, which can be a little overdone, I will say, you know, PubMed is helpful, but the interpretation of the studies, you know, similar to what we were talking about with Bob Green, you know, is often misinterpreted. So being a person that had resources, I was able to research and then, you know, I had various PhD type folks similar to Mike Nelson and, and well actually Mike Nelson was the exact person that I could talk to but then we have Brad Dieter on our staff and, and Jim Patterson and what's nice about taking research is you think it says one thing and then when you present it to someone that interprets research for a living oftentimes you'll see it says the exact opposite and that was in case that was the case in the Bob Green scenario, you know, when you were looking at the people that's weight was a little bit higher, they were sleeping better, their muscle retention was, you know, obviously a lot better because they, you know, while they weren't losing fat, they also weren't losing a great deal of muscle in that process. And one of the things that sort of happened in the last, say, 10 to 15 years is that the emphasis on weight loss has been sort of trumped by the emphasis on fat loss. And the two aren't married. And I think that that's important for people to hear because when you're looking at fat loss, you can get fat loss two ways. And not only can you get fat loss two ways, but it works best if you get fat loss two ways. And the temptation, trust me, you know, like I said, you know, I, I feel that, you know, I'm basically a person that sort of dieted my way up to 230 pounds and I'm a relatively small framed individual. I weigh 175 pounds today and, um, what was the secret for me was really no secret at all, right? I mean, it was eating an adequate amount for what I do the good majority of the time. And then, you know, using that energy and, and you know, combining that with exercise for greater work capacity. And one of the things that's always sort of bugged me about Eat to Perform is when people think to themselves, well, I'm not really sure if I can do eat to perform because I'm not an athlete. The science of eat to perform is based on total daily energy expenditure. And the problem with total daily energy expenditure is that people will often use the numbers that they get and then just immediately start thinking to themselves, well, okay, an online calculator told me that my calories should be 2,400 and so I'm going to eat 1,500 so I have a 900 calorie deficit on a daily basis. When you look at the best approach, 
and how to you know get the best response when you when we're talking about dieting or we're talking about working out we're essentially talking about adding stress on your system and it's your body's adaptation to that stress that ultimately allows you to get leaner use stored bodily fat and then ultimately see the result that you want the problem is is when you're constantly dieting or you're under eating because you're eating intuitively that's the problem with something like you know relying on mostly whole foods um similar to the paleo diet like as an example you could use the paleo diet with you know some level of strategic carbohydrates and then some understanding of how many calories you're supposed to be eating on a daily basis and get a good response but if your focus is simply controlling insulin because you believe that insulin is the big boogeyman you're most likely wrong unless you're a diabetic and most all of us have some tolerance for carbohydrates and what's interesting about metabolism and how it relates to carbohydrates is that these things are not static your body can adjust to how you handle carbohydrates based on and and really your body you know it's the same for protein it's the same for um, you know fats is your body is going to try and adapt to what you're providing it as it relates to energy and it's that adaptation that is going to allow you to see a specific result and when we're talking about kind of getting those results in a shorter time period where you're pulling off the band-aid as quickly as possible is people don't often land in the spot where they want to land because yes you know you can eat in a low carbohydrate way of eating and you can pull all the water out of your body essentially when you eat carbohydrates you know people often talk about inflammation inflammation sort of has a bad rap um, as it relates to carbohydrates but roughly three to four grams uh, you know of water storage as it relates to carbohydrates is kind of the standard scientific idea and so when you go well why would I want that extra you know water well it's because when your body's able to process that water into your muscle it makes your muscle more useful and you go well I don't really care about muscles all I'm really cared about is fat too bad you don't get to choose that ultimately you're a human being and as a human being your goal is to thrive and to make it throughout the day without having 18 cups of coffee and you know the the problem with low fat or low carb or really anything that sort of demonizes a food group is that it might not fit for what your goals are 
right? We're not making an argument for extreme carbohydrates, or we're not making an argument for, you know, extremely high fats. We're making an argument for better understanding. And when you take things out of context, it sort of misses the bigger picture. And then when you take things out of context and then you truncate it into a shorter time period, then you really miss the boat. And what's interesting about the whole uh, Oprah discussion, and I referenced it a little bit earlier, is that she's obviously come full circle. She, she's, she struggled with her approach to fat loss over many years. That's obviously well documented. I, I sort of hate the people that use that against her, and I'm certainly not doing that right now. Um, but what I do think is that when you look at someone trying to come up with like really simplistic solutions, I think she is sort of stumbling on what is likely the best approach for her from a standpoint of kind of eating a bit more flexibly. The problem with eating more flexibly when you're not eating foods that are uh, nutrient dense is that your body misses out on basic macro consumption, basic micronutrient consumption. And when we're just looking at things from a calorie balance standpoint where you're saying calories in, calories out, and you're trying to view things, you know, points ultimately are simply calories. And so when um, you're not getting enough protein to allow your um, muscles to heal from the workouts that you're doing on a daily basis, and then potentially actually building some new tissue, you know, one of the biggest things that people say is that they want to get fat loss, but they want to increase muscle mass at the same time. And physiologically, that makes no sense at all because your body needs raw materials to buy that lean, to, to make that lean mass. And that raw materials is food. And so when you're under eating, you're not providing your body the raw materials to repair and, and potentially build new tissue. You're really always trying to rely on your bodily fat stores. And the problem with that is, is that your metabolism downregulates. And so we have a lot of people that have been kind of using the same hammer over and over again. And so while I do kind of applaud like a little bit more flexible way of eating, once again, when you're doing that in a non-intuitive way where you're just focused on points or calories, you're sort of missing the bigger picture. And so we'll kind of dive into that into the upcoming chapters. So I hope this is helpful for everybody and uh, we'll see you in chapter two.